And hello and welcome to the final episode of Legion. I think it's the fifth, isn't it the fifth? Fourth? Fifth. <laughs> <laughs> Jason told me lies. <laughs> But hey, how are you guys doing? We're back with Jason and Megan again. We're actually live, and I feel like that's a, a rare treat these days in, in the pandemic, so we can see your face and... And just, you know, have human contact. Yeah, it's pretty nice. It is pretty amazing, and we're surrounded by three cats, so they might be ringing in the background. <laughs> Because they are assholes. No, they absolutely just want attention and food. So we, uh, we left off with Grammaticus taking Rukshan and Sonica for a little walk, right? Mm-hmm. And of course we don't follow up on them. <laughs> of course not. Why would we? Yeah, Change why would we? scene. <laughs> <laughs> This movie would be a mess. It would feel very choppy. Like, it's almost like the literary equivalent of shaky cam. Like, there are a bunch of hyper-aggressive cuts. And, I don't know. I guess if you could style it up, uh, it could end up feeling like an espionage version of a Guy Ritchie film. Maybe, yeah. You just put, like, some entertaining music in between the really harsh scene changes. You get Jason Statham on board. Oh, he would do it. He would be one of the Afariuses, maybe. So Jason would was reading this to me like mm -hmm. at night, right before we were going to bed, when I'd take my glasses off and couldn't really read by myself. You know. Anyway, there were a couple of times where the scene changes were so choppy that I I would say, "Did you miss something?" And and he'd like show me that. No, no like, this really, is just right? how it, it's it, written. I'm like, okay, I'm sorry. Asleep? Yeah, no, I'm like, did you somehow accidentally skip something? Did. Maybe you need to start saying end of chapter. Yeah. <laughs> he he has actually. Yeah, oh, I have. <laughs> Because if you just read it straight through from the last chapter and there wasn't that like big loud like chapter six carrier Loudon orbital, it would be uh, Grammaticus shrugging and saying like, eh, I'm deciding the future for everyone. Which one of you men is Franco Boone? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a very jarring place in your ear, like have this mental scene going and then that happens but right it's such an aggressive like start to a chapter that already you know a, in a book that kind of already struggles with choppy scenes like ending and starting again so uh yeah chain is uh kind of just uh rolling in his authority now uh namat jira has him like hardcore investigating again because they figured out that conig hinnika is The horrible spy that everyone's been looking for. To spy among spies. Exactly. Yeah, and to be fair, it matches really well to Chain's character. He is a very brutal person. Chain is very choppy. Like, I love how they start off in the beginning explaining that the uh, Lucifer Blacks... So the microphone belongs to them now. <laughs> I hope you can hear the cat purring into the microphone. Oh, yeah, definitely. That would be Cadley Portman for the listeners coming to say hello. Climbing a microphone. Yes. <laughs> so the Lucifer play. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he starts out by saying, like, you know, they're used to just exchanging short, completely unornamental barks of information at each other. And, uh, That's kind of what he does here, and I think it throws Boone off a little bit. Because uh, Boone's just kind of hanging around with some of his uh, Gene Whip buddies. 
and uh, Chain comes up, picks him out of the lineup, and says, uh, we will converse. Come here. Uh, begging your pardon, sir, said Boone, but I'm a little occupied. We're marshalling the second wave for drop. Come back in a couple of hours. I believe you understood my instruction to be optional, Franco Boone. It was not. We will converse. Come here. And it's like, it's like so entertaining to read that out loud because it's so jarring and choppy. It's like, you, here, now. <laughs> uh, this is something I did not see as, as choppy, but I can see just reading it out loud. Yeah, true. But, oh. He also asked Sheen to take off his helmet to make it a little bit less charring, but I don't. I feel like he regrets this question a little bit. I think he regrets it. I think it's because he feels like he's lost a little bit of the control that he wants to have. I mean, he's a gene whip. Everybody listens to him. Well, and Shane, yeah, he doesn't want to show his face, I would assume. But he takes it off at least. He does. I think it just feels awkward to Shane. Like, it really doesn't seem to register. He even asks, like, why when Mm -hmm. boone asks him to take his helmet off like he doesn't get the eye-to-eye contact or like the human interaction angle and it just seems like a unnecessary inconvenience that's just going to waste 10 seconds but uh so digging back in uh chain is uh trying to get back and figure out what is going on with pato sonica and hurtado bronzy uh because to Basically, even in the uh, Geno 5-2, everybody thinks uh, Pedo Sonica is dead. And yeah. Hurtado Bronzi is essentially, I think he is now the most senior hetman in the Geno 5-2. At least the one we know about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's always a chance to have some unsung heroes, I guess. And especially, I feel Chain is probably extra mad because he was investigating them before and he missed things and that's not okay. He cannot miss things. Can't have it. Nope. And uh, Boone even points it out. It's like, uh, you arrested and questioned both of them already. One of them's five months dead. What's up? I have to say, I think Chain is one of the most likable characters in the entire book. I agree. It's really odd. He, He just wants to be good at his job, and he is pretty good at his job. And as opposed to many of the other very over-the-top, overly complicated characters in this, Chain just wants to get in there and get the job done. No muss, no fuss, just keep it rolling. And yeah. I wouldn't have described him as um, likable, but as competent. I yes. Yeah, he is super good at what he's doing. That's true. That's true. I guess competent is uh, a better way to describe him. But considering some of the other characters we're coming in contact with, I feel like competence almost makes him likable because (laughs) I feel like Grammaticus is so bad at his job. And then you have some of the other characters involved. And I really, I mean, this is my very first Warhammer novel, and it just feels like the Alpha Legion makes things so much more complicated than they need to be. They do. They really do. many times needlessly. And so Chain's just like, I want to get my job done. I want to move on. I'm not going to put on a, you know, a gold mask and a eight foot long ostrich feather cape. Eight meter long. Eight meter, uh-huh. sorry. Uh, ostrich cape, which in this book makes him much, much better than a lot of the other ones. I don't need. Yeah, 
pretty much the only uh, time he doesn't just get straight through everything and get everything done is when the Alpha Legion directly foil him. <laughs> and I mean, if the only people that can really outthank you are like Alpharius himself, that's a pretty good, uh, pretty good job record. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because like Grammaticus is just like goofing around the entire time, and I don't know, he like wavers back and forth between being not good at his job and being like dramatic. I think Megan even like was calling him Dramaticus for a while and didn't like. <laughs> it's it's a fair point. He is really dramatic <laughs> and cocky. Mm-hmm. But um, speaking of that competence. I think Dan Abnett does go to, does do a very good job here at really illustrating that. And he could have at a lot of points just said like, oh, uh, yeah, Chain is like a hyper-competent you know, bodyguard. But he's done a very good job, I feel, throughout the novel of showing us that. Yeah, show, not tell. Yeah, exactly. Because uh, here, with just like this little exchange where... Um, uh, Boone is starting to, you know, bristle up a little bit, and uh, he accuses uh, Chain of, uh, let's see here, you better have some watertight facts before you come down here dragging the reputations of two of my hetman through the gutters. And Chain, completely unshaken, says, ah, the famous Chiliad loyalty. How does it go? Company first, Imperium second, Gino before Gene. I was told to expect you'd close ranks. It's like he already knows so much about the Chiliad and he's done like a terrific job just like figuring out what he's doing uh, he's definitely not going into this blind. No he is he does his research he's prepared and he knows who he has to talk to as well mm -hmm. and I feel like he knows how he needs to talk to them as well right because just a paragraph down it's like a Chain nodded. He knew when to be forthcoming with a morsel of information. There were spies at work on Nerth, Boone. We assume they were Nerthine agents. Now appears they were the work of the Alpha Legion Astartes Infiltration Network. So as I think at first it may seem like the Lucifer Blacks are not adept at like human-to-human -human communication, but really they treat it just like any other skill that they have to hone and use in an exact way. Just like any other, like, you know, using a rifle, using a saber. They treat it like any other combat tactic. Yeah, like, he did, they don't do contact for the pleasure of having contact with other people. It is a tool. Exactly. Because uh, this is where Chain lets go that John Grammaticus is using the name Konig Hinnika and operating under the guise of an Imperial agent and drew Uxor Rukshana Saeed uh, into the whole thing during the Nerthine operation. And uh, he's really starting to, I think he really knows like a lot more than he's letting on to Boone. And I think he's trying to string Boone along to see what he'll give up. Uh, because he's almost a little coy, like uh, Bronzy and Sonica were arrested after an attempt to remove her from the palace. Was that the Chiliad covering itself, I wonder? And it really feels like he's trying to string Boone along to see like how he'll respond. I mean, he does. His mouth felt dry so he's getting stressed by this because mm -hmm. you don't get accused by a lucifer black for nothing and well right get turned out well i mean essentially that'd be like the secret service you know kicking in your door at work and saying like hey we're gonna have a conversation 
it's not something that's going to be super comfortable for, you know. Nobody. Nope. Anybody. Especially when you know you have something to hide. Yeah. Or even, and uh, he, he admits to the, to it, how they cover themselves and do everything, which at least uh, he also gives him a little bit of a leeway and leads him further on just because like, yeah, we, we, I understand. It's fine. Just give me information. Um, what I really like here. And I think this is the point where I went from like appreciating chain to actually liking him as a character. Uh, when again, Boone starts kind of acting up and getting a little bristly, uh, Chain says he's accessed the Chiliad's private record base. And Boone tries to fluff up and say, like, that's illegal. You've got no right to do that. And it's kind of obvious that Boone's sort of gotten by on his reputation and his position for a while. Because uh, I think he's kind of just used to having people go along with whatever he's saying. Mm -hmm. And so Chain immediately comes back with Council of Terra Edict 1141236A, Powers of Search and Inquiry, as governed by the Marshall Process. During war operation, the authority of any Lord Commander or Commander holding a position of equivalent authority over an expedition or similar task force or equivalent mandate may be allowed under suspicion or general threat of insurgency to seize, audit, copy, access, and otherwise examine any data files compiled and stored by a military section of a regiment under his purview. That's my right. He went full Karen. <laughs> <laughs> he did indeed. Side note, I feel like... Uh, the edict number should be what you ask S Steve this year. Oh, right. In the whole like uh, trivia contest. In the trivia contest, the Christmas trivia contest. Because what is it that he asks every year? What are the exact orbital coordinates oh, of some dumbass planet? <laughs> yes. So there you which go. One. Now you've got. Uh, according to which Council of Terra edict number are the powers of search and inquiry as governed by the Marshall process granted? Exactly. There he goes. So do I need to leave it in here or should I cut it out so um, nobody can give him a hint? Uh, you know what? Let's see if Steve listens to this. We'll find out. He will. I doubt he does. There you go. So well, we'll we see. can leave it in here. Uh, you could replay this a half dozen times. Council of Terra Edict 1141236A. A half dozen times and I'd never remember it. Nope. And that's the point. <laughs> oh, goodness. And he ends it with, tell me about Strabo. Right? <laughs> I mean, he might as well, like... <laughs> All right, let's see here. I feel like you can even, like, see the Karen haircut going on while he's like, now tell me about Strabo. Like, yeah. he, he has thoroughly owned Do I need to go to, my su to, to your supervisor? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> because I know your supervisor's edict number. <laughs> so, anywho, uh, Boone gives up uh, because uh, it was nothing, said Boone, miserably. And I think I'd be a little miserable after that, too. Uh, and explains that Strabo was the head Bashaw, which I think is roughly analogous to a sergeant. Mm -hmm. um, since they'd lost their hetman, uh, Sonico was shipped in as a proxy to see uh, both see them through and see how they uh, worked with him. And apparently Strabo reported in Sonica just up and left the clowns on station after uh, receiving you know, a communication saying he was needed and uh, just peaced out. Uh, he pulled a straight up chromaticus and just bailed. Yeah. And um, Strabo said that Sonica had a spy in his custody, which we know as grammaticus, but well, honestly, we all know chain knows he's, he expects it at least. 
So I guess the Alpha Legion didn't cover their tracks as good as one would have hoped. And then he wants to know where Brazi is. Mm-hmm. Poor Brazi. Uh, again, it's not a great idea how loud and obvious the Alpha Legion are with their operatives. Just sending that little weird green scale with him is the entire reason like actual spy networks don't work like that. Mm-hmm. And probably they don't brand their people in actual spy networks, but eh. So, uh, scene change. Chapter end. Chapter begin on Eolith. Continuous. Uh, so, we're back down on the planet with Sonica, Grammaticus, and Uxor Rukshana Saeed. They are climbing their way over the creepy little Cthulhu mountains. Uh, there's gross dead sea life everywhere. Smells real bad. Mm-hmm. I think this is like the fourth time they've mentioned how bad it smells. And uh, Grammaticus is leading them down into a little cave in these weird cubic mountains. Uh, its basin flooded with black liquor between its scattered slabs. Which just sounds lovely. But if I can just say, I feel like for the rest of this novel, we need to refer to him as Dramaticus because he's about to become a full-on drama queen. I second this motion. Accepted. All right, there we go. Glad we're all in agreement. Because Grammaticus finds out that he's been played by uh, both Sonica and Rukshana, and it's it, supposed to be a real big twist, but I mean, you were onto it. But for me, the first time this happened, I my mind was blown. I was like, "Oh my god!" So Rukshana, she's crying. She's upset. Um, Dramaticus tries to call his bosses. They come. They show themselves, and big plot twist. The people he brought, um, Sonica, puts his weapon up. Mm-hmm. And gives uh, Rukshana a little locator beam. Meanwhile, uh, Dramaticus tries to use his secret word, bedlame. Bedlame, and oh god, it doesn't work. Sonica legitimately laughs at it. You really thought that worked, didn't you, John? I I don't really understand why he thought it was going to work in the first place, because it was pretty obvious when they were on the ship and they were getting away, getting air quotes there, because it was obvious that that was part of the plan that they had to allow him to go down to the planet. So I don't really get why. No, clearly this was because of Dramaticus's superior planning and perfect skills at getting away from things. <laughs> right. It was not suspicious in the slightest that when Pedro came back for him and they managed to make it all the way to a drop pod, they didn't run into anything but a single servitor, even though Pedro made a big deal of it. Like, oh, we shot it. Now we got to run. They'll be on to us. But then they weren't. No, they weren't. You would... <laughs> You would think that would be suspicious. Like, the Alpha Legion would have put more thought into at least making it look like they were pursuing them. Because this really feels like they basically should have, like, you know, I don't know, like, left the bar open and a little flashing, like, exit sign above the drop pod. With three suits of armor for them to go down onto the planet. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. The only thing that throws me off a little bit... 
How did Pato and the Alpha Legion know what the trigger word John was trying to implant in Pato's mind was supposed to do so he could fake it? That's the only... I think it's just supposed to make him compliant with whatever Dramaticus is saying. So I think he's just supposed to say, Bedlam, and then you go over there, drop your weapon. You know, so I think it's just supposed to make him compliant into whatever comes after that, you're supposed to do it. Maybe like they probably don't know, need to know what word is actually supposed to be the trigger, but somehow they avoided him getting influenced and getting a trigger word installed at all. But the questions would be still, how do they avoid it? I'd imagine the avoiding it would be easier even than faking it, because I'm guessing they're just as well-versed in hypno-indoctrination and trigger words and what have you as as Dramaticus is. Probably. So I imagine they can counter it just as easily. But it seems like it would have been very easy for it to go south if the trigger word didn't mean exactly what Pato did. Because what if there were like a couple of trigger words? Like one was supposed to make him compliant, one was supposed to make him like do something different. Or sleep. Or sleep. Don't you just assume that he was being monitored by the Alpha Legion in his cell, so the Alpha Legion could tell what he was trying to implant. That's a pretty good point. Or maybe they entrusted that Dramaticus trusts himself enough to just rely on a single word instead of multiple ones to for safety. That does seem like classic Dramaticus. He's got a style. He does have a style, and he does mm-hmm. stick to it. He does very much. The man knows his theme. Oh, now, now because he's been, in his mind, betrayed. Betrayal. No. Most (laughs) foul. He's got 50 alpha legionnaires uh, surrounding the cabal in this chamber, which is then surrounded by, you know, a backup, backup army. I love how Alpharius just materializes. The Primarch walks forward. Cabal, he said. We meet at last. On my terms. <laughs> That's like the cheesiest, like, end of a mystery, like, thriller TV show line. Honestly, Alpharius and Dramaticus, they all could go together and have a little drama party and figure out who's the biggest queen of drama. That's true. That is true. And, of course, again, what do we have? Chapter end. I was going to say, to me... Oh. One of the biggest drama queens it is going to be coming up soon oh. because I personally think it might be, uh, oh no, what's his name? Who's in charge? Lord Commander Namatjira. Oh, I think yeah. Namatjira. No, oh, that's a good point. He's the only person in the entire novel to legitimately throw a champagne glass. <gasps> oh my. <laughs> Not at somebody, but still, he does throw a champagne glass in a rage. He's also the only one that we know of that has his own makeup artist traveling with him. So. He does. True. But we are going back to Bronzy because they're on to him. They are on to him. And nobody helps him. And That's un- surprising. And it's really difficult for him to uh for him to, you know, attest to innocence when he's literally marked. Yeah, again, the policy of putting your stamp on people, they might need to think about that again. Maybe they change it afterwards. That would make more sense. Or just give a bunch of random people the mark. (laughs) 
just, cut one off. Just do it at random, like to have. I mean, there, you know, all those trend tattoos, like everybody has the infinity sign mm-hmm. or a feather or a bird. They just need to make that with the Hydra. Right. Or everybody has it, kind of. Oh no, this means I, um, I crossed the Hydra in one of the pla- uh, ships we flew over the planet. Uh, I did herpetology in college. Like, we all got them. Yeah, there, there was a fraternity for that. <laughs> Are you a member? That's the perfect way to infiltrate the planet. Just turn it into, like, a basic college girl thing, <laughs> and it will fly under everyone's radar. Perfect. So, anywho, uh, Moo and Bronzy and the rest of the Geno 5-2 have staked out their little territory. They are taking and holding territory like champs. And uh, a jackal gunship flies down out of the clouds, uh, makes two passes over the Joker's position, and uh, settles down on the flattest patch of rock in the immediate vicinity. Uh, Hits the ground, Lucifer Blacks pile out, uh, Bronzy immediately. He knows. He knows. Immediate butt cheek clinch for Bronzy. At least he uh, openly uh, is pan. Well, openly he's panicking in the book, which is nice to not pretend that. Oh no, I'm cool. No, he is scared for a good reason. Lucifer Blacks pile out. Identify Hetman Bronzy. And I think for a split second, Bronzy thinks about like running or just like. Uh, but he actually just basically like raises his hand. That's me. Mm-hmm. Here I am. Uh, which probably looks a lot cooler and more steadfast than Bronzy actually feels. Yes, probably. I think I think that kind of makes... Bronzy's like one of the most human and kind of relatable characters in the it's entire like, book. It's like you did something, your parents come home, they look at both you and your sibling and are like, who did it? And you decide, okay, I cannot let the other one get into trouble for this. I did it. All right. And you feel like a hero. Which one of you? <laughs> until you until the punishment happens. And yes. then you're like, man, I should have rethought that. Should've. Which one of you did the treasonous war crimes? <laughs> Fess yeah, up. They have them all the time. <laughs> Just tell me and I promise I won't be mad. <laughs> I will only be sad. <laughs> I won't be mad. I'm disappointed in you for doing yeah, the war crimes. <laughs> Uh, I do like at this point, uh, Honan Moo tries to like pull rank and say, I can't allow this. You can't remove my Hetman during an operation. Uh, she's trying. I think she likes him, even though she, nobody wants to admit to it. I think she likes him. I think she's trying to do what she can to protect him in the way that she thinks she can. But this is clearly above her rank at this point, And that is not going to... It's not going to stop what's happening. I was a laugh that she's, Bronzy, what have you done, you silly old dog? That line kind of jumped out at me as being a little weird. Like, that's, uh, you big silly. Why are you getting arrested by the military police? (laughs) You don't even know what you did. Are you up to your antics again? (laughs) Yes, just being taken in by, like, the Space Secret Service (laughs) for my shenanigans. Well, at least he gets to give her a little kiss on the cheeks before he goes back. He does. Thanks, Grandpa. Hmm. And, yeah, we leave them with, as she watched him walk away, Honan Moo had the most profound feeling that she'd never see him again. End scene. Begin new scene. This is not how it should be. 
Grammaticus roared. Of course. Be I- quiet, <laughs> said Alfarius. <laughs> no. <laughs> Grammaticus spat, turning to face the Primarch. This is exactly the sort of confrontational duress I was trying to avoid. This is no way to deal with the cabal. You cannot turn your guns on them and force them to... I can do anything I want. (laughs) 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 And what I want is to be in control of this situation. So, again, like, I don't know why Dramaticus thought that this would go any differently. I mean... you miss the fact that he's wailing at this point. It's not a trap. He's he's literally wailing. Yes. Not anymore, it isn't. Omegon agreed. <laughs> you used me. <laughs> I almost feel like Dan Abnett is getting tired of this book, like as he's writing it. And he's like, I'm just going to put some lines in here that'll really just make me giggle when I read them again. <laughs> I'm going to have, I mean, I'm done. I'm going to have some fun with this. I absolutely understand. I just. Yeah, you have a 1,000-year-old guy wailing and being upset. And, oh, my God, you betrayed me. How could you? Right? At this point, he's literally five times older than the Primarchs themselves. And he didn't see any of this coming. Because he's not good at his job. He's really not good at his job. I mean, even though he's a psyker, he's no match for a Primarch, I guess. Well, it's not just that, but again, I go back to the fact that he had known Rakshana for, what, two days or something? It has to be true love. Yeah. The only true love I have experienced in 700 years. The only feelings I allow to have myself for not a woman. Yeah. Okay, after two days, nobody's hiding you from this many people looking right? for you. It just nobody's doesn't happen. Nobody's hiding you from the space police after two days. It's not just the space police. He had multiple people looking for him. He had Alpha Legion, the Lucifer Blacks, like he ha- and the Cabal. So he had all sorts of stuff going on. And the fact that she was willing to try to hide him from all of that should have raised a red flag. I'm going to hide you from the commissars, the space secret service, the military, and literal aliens. We met Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this one night was very good. So, yeah, absolutely, Al. <laughs> yeah, no. A career soldier's not going to do that. So No. Yeah. Uh, and and I feel like for a person that's a thousand years old, the fact that there could be this sort of psychic scrambler that would make you make it difficult to read somebody's mind, mm-hmm. he had to have come in contact with that somewhere before. Right. Probably. It, like there's no way this is a new technology to him. That would be like me being surprised, like, you have a microwave? My plans are foiled. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, what I really appreciate here is um it is a little callback. Rukshana, why? And she starts unbuttoning her suit. And she keeps going and... Take your top off. Yeah. <laughs> and she pulls the seam aside to show half of her breast. The Hydra brand appeared like a beauty spot on her pale skin. Why isn't the brand on her hip? Like, literally everybody else to this point. Because it's way more unhandy. She would have had to undress. It takes long. It would have been a much more awkward scene, I think. <laughs> and she takes off everything. It would have been a lot more of an awkward scene if it was like, hang on, let me take off my bad weather gear, undress these weather-resistant pants, and undo my flak jacket. Ha! (laughs) Betrayal! 
Also, maybe they just like to stamp it somewhere else between. I don't know. I maybe she asked for it there. We don't maybe know. true. Guys, let's be honest. It's because she's dramatic too. She's dramatic too, and Dan Abnett wanted to say boob. That's <laughs> probably yeah. Because he's secretly a fourteen-year-old boy. He wanted to show half of a boob. The right boob, especially. Yeah, side boob. It's very important mm-hmm. to a 14-year-old boy. So, after this, Chromaticus just looks away and sings. No, Dramaticus sings Dramaticus. to his knees. I'm surprised he doesn't wail even more. And cry <laughs> I'm surprised there's not like a dramatic zoom, like right. in a soap opera. Bum, if bum. this were being filmed, there would be. There would definitely be a dramatic zoom. Mm-hmm. And I need to look for a dramatic sound effect. Oh my god, there's even an evil twin just like the soap operas there we go maybe it is and she so shows the seam (laughs) (laughs) the the hydra brand appears boob hydra (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. he had 50 space marines and this whole group of aliens just watching this dramatic scene unfold. Why, why wouldn't he wait till later to well, have that conversation? It's very important now, and everybody needs to see half a boob. Yeah. <laughs> it's good for the morale. I mean, because he's that dramatic. And now and now Alfarius is like, and now that that scene is over, let's get back to the business at hand. Right. I could just see him, like, turning from one to the next. Well, that's done. Let's talk about the aliens we've just taken prisoner. Yeah, and the aliens also completely ignore everything which was just happened. They're like, we don't like what you did, but okay, let's talk. Yeah. I think this following scene is way more entertaining if you keep the mental picture of John just throwing a tantrum in the background <laughs> while the Alpha Legion and Cabal are talking. Just sitting there on his knees crying. Yeah, yeah. like yeah. Like if this was a shot for shot, like drama alfarius and the cabal would be talking and like over his right shoulder you could see john like flinging his arms in the air (laughs) maybe like hurling his little you know transponder to the ground and storming off or hitting the pillow screaming wailing being unhappy screaming into a pillow because this truly is a soap opera it is in space but everybody speaks they are super unhappy which I would also be. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be surrounded by 50 Astartes with their guns. It's a little unnerving. Mm-hmm. I will say here, as much fun as we make of this, it's kind of hard to tell, like, years down the road, because, well, this novel was, I want to say, 2008? Yes, Austin was talking about it very much. Because- yes. It's a big deal here, because... I know it's just, you know, We Are Alfarius is the ad nauseum Warhammer meme. Mm-hmm. But before this novel, the idea of a twin Primarch for the Alpha Legion wasn't a thing. And so this is history. Yep. It and- is It is a very interesting way to reveal it, too, with Alfarius telling them to begin and then having them say that they want to speak with the entire Primarch. Uh, and Alfaria saying you are, and then they're them, you know, coming back on him and saying, you know, we know that that's not true. So we want to speak with the entire Primarch. And 
especially they did it really well because in um, the book we read before, the first heretic, there's a little hint of it. They talk about how potentially it was Alpharius. And it mentions in the scene how there are too many limbs in the drop pot or in the ingestation, whatever pot. And apparently back then, Austin really had a bunch of theories of what could this be. It can be potentially a twin. It has to be some weird Xenos thing. It is really nice to go back through and remember all the wacky theories that used to happen. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of my favorites was when everybody was positive after this short story, Feet of Iron, uh, that Alpharius or Omegon was actually one of the first Grey Knight Grandmasters. Oh. Because uh, during like a little flashback dream sequence, uh, there is a statue of Janus, and it is a Gemini twin, which is, of course, Primarchs, you know, talking about Alpharius and Omegon. Uh, but Janus is the name of the first Grandmaster of the Grey Knights. Oh. So, and then later it just turns out we figure out exactly who it is. But that's neither here nor there. That yeah. was a fun theory before it was, you know, executed. Wrong. I mean, there's also the whole thing with the uh, star signs. Of and all the Primarchs matching to them. Mm-hmm. So, oh, they're twins. Huh. Yeah, it kind of yeah. all clicks into place and a little bit cheesy, but very entertaining. Yeah, I like like the way it's written, though. Cut off one head and two shall grow in its place. Alone amongst the gene sons of the Terran Emperor, you, you are the only twins. You are both the Primarch, one soul and two vessels. This fact is not known outside our legion. It is our most closely guarded secret. How did you know? How did you know? Oh my god. Dramatic zoom. But uh, as much crap as we give it, it is a tiny piece of Horus Heresy history. Yeah, and it is a great scene, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like Megan pointed out, it is just so nice and they're really, really smooth. Especially, what do you think the Alphires and Amagan want to know? How do you know? And they don't even get any cool we spied on you in answers. Just like, it made sense. Yeah. Just looked up and studied you and comparison everything. Like, yeah, you had to be that way. Also, the oldest and the youngest son were the most significant ones. Mm-hmm. Horus for what he will do and you for what will you undo. You speak heresy, Omegon growled. <laughs> it is kind of an interesting mental picture, too, because Galatro is a interpolator. And I think, don't quote me on this, but in the Ravener series, there is a little insectoid dude named Unworth, who I think is the same species. And they're pretty tiny little dudes. They're like about three feet tall. Oh. So just the mental picture of this little bug man, kind of think like Gregory from Dragon Ball Z, or like trend, you know, translating for all these like giant like supermen it's just warhammer's a- just full of little dudes warhammer yes. is at its core little dudes oh yes yes we will there are some books we need to read for that <laughs> but um so essentially this is like a longer version of describing what dramaticus has described this entire time uh speaking of a coming war a great doom uh, of course, Alpharius and Omegon staunchly deny it. Um, 
It's a division that could never happen. Horace Lupercal is war master in the emperor's right hand and the most loyal of all. Everything he does, he does for the emperor. Mm-hmm. I believe you intend to show the seeds of descent with these wild tales. And pretty much what it comes down to, guys, we need to bring our car so we can show you on the TV. So <laughs> let me grab the car and then we can keep walking, talking there. And they have them now. They have Alpharius and Armagon and they're just like, do it. Do so it. we've just had this super dramatic scene with Dramaticus and Rukshana. We've just had a very dramatic scene between the Cabal and Alpharius and Omegon. I just felt like of all the drama, like followed by drama, followed by drama, the fact that the Cabal are like, just come on back to our ship. And they're like, okay, there's no fight. There's no, how are we going to be in control on your ship? It It just felt a little bit out of out of character i think it just um there's a saying in german neugier ist der katze tot i believe when you. the cat is um curiosity kills the cat but there's not a not the fact of just satisfaction brought it back so i think they're just cats they want to know and if you dangle something which is just most is interesting enough for them they will they will just gobble it up like fish i think at this point Alpharius and Omegon don't believe the Cabal. I think they think it's much more likely that this is the combined efforts of several alien species on the edge of extinction, and they're starting to reach for Hail Marys, and it's kind of like a ploy to sow seeds of dissent, I think is the term they used. Mm -hmm. But I think it's just enticing enough for the Alpha Legion that like they have to know one way or the other. It's like they would never be happy if they just gunned down the cabal here and didn't know one way or the other. They need to open Pandora's box. They have to do it. They can't not do it. It's called research, baby. <laughs> <laughs> so, scene end. <laughs> and now we're back on Elif three hours later. Mm-hmm. And with Bronzy. Oh, Bronzy. So he gets stripped by a bunch of Lucifer Blacks. Uh, He just, he tries to ask questions, doesn't go well. Hatch opens, Dina's chain comes through. Uh, Hurtado Bronzy. Bronzy said nothing. You're detained on the suspicion of being a covert operative of the Astartes Alpha Legion. No, I'm not, but you have a Hydra tattoo. (laughs) Yeah, like he tries to deny it. <laughs> I didn't do that. That's a mistake. You but planted like, the green leaf thingy. This is wrong. You've got the wrong man. <laughs> and now he's going to show the scale that the Alpha Legion left because they're so good at their job. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is. You, you must planted have planted it. it. Of course. You of course. planted that space cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, did I plant your sick brand mark too? You're literally labeled for their convenience. <laughs> Don't annoy me, Bronzy, said Chain. Tell me the rest. And um, we, the rest, if I must, sir. This is so nice because this is the exact beginning of the book. Everything. I mean, we just dropped, uh, dropped in with him confessing it all up. I am kind of curious why they decided to put that scene at the very beginning of the book. It's like, because it's completely out of context in the very beginning. Mm -hmm. 
And I remember just to confuse people like me that don't understand the whole Warhammer universe. And I was like, what are we on drugs or something? What is going on here? No, no, it's so we know we have to watch Hurt uh, Bronzy. We have to watch him. He's important. He's going to do something at some point, which will be important. Super important. He will be interrogated and he will be a smart ass about it. Mm hmm. Which I also wondered that when did he get this trained onto him? Was this already when he became a headman or. Did he some we had some secret update by the Alpha Legion? It's a good question. Cause I think the obvious answer is the Alpha Legion subverted him when he and Demi Shaban flew off with the body of the Alpha Legion operative. That's when they picked him up, right? Yes, they did. Or that's what we're expected to believe. I think it could be just as easily as Bronzy was playing a part far in advance uh, because he was the one that was like, nope, I'll take it. I mean, but they were mentioning in the book that the brand was new and raw. It is, but... Or was it Sonica? That's a good question. It's been so long. Okay, I'm going to go look back. I believe you. Short interruption. Maybe, I don't know. I guess it is just as easily could be one of those things where it's like, oh, no, exactly what we thought it was. And I could just be overthinking it way too much. But hey, uh, bronzy interrogating, scene end. New scene begin. All the deep range scopes begin to sound contact alerts. Uh, so Van Onger, master of the expedition fleet, uh, is hanging out on the bridge of the Blamiers. What I really appreciate about this scene is that Nama Jira was already starting to question whether or not what he was being told by the Alpha Legion was true. And he's already starting to throw a fit. And now this unknown vessel has shown up. It's coming out of nowhere. And Nama Jira realizes that he's been had. And he is freaking out. And he wants to get back at the Alpha Legion, and he is starting to make demands. Uh, I just wanted to draw attention to this one really awkward line uh, when uh, when the Cabal's flagship flies past. Uh, Namat Jira's voice was lost in a wash of static. Every screen on the bridge station suddenly milked out, and the main lights died. That's the most awkward way you could describe that. Why not just faded to white? It's uncomfortably liquid. (laughs) (laughs) Do you not like milk? It's just a really awkward way to describe it. Like, I wouldn't say my television milked itself. I would say, like, my my screen, like, faded to white. Uh, I mean, I did. I, it didn't catch me. It did not catch me. Uh, I'm also. I'm used to very weird descriptions for a lot of things. So, fair enough. Looking things out, okay. But uh, I got an answer to Bronzy. Okay. Yes. I think so. Um, he. I don't think he was already part of the Alpha Legion originally when he picked up the body, because at least um, um, here. Oh God. Oh Terra. No. Bronzy yelled. The Stardy switched his aim back to Bronzy. Bronzy sank to his knees, knees in the dust. Police! As I said, the Space Marine remarked, stepping forward, its bolter aimed. There's only one option. Why are you doing this? Bronzy pleaded. For the Emperor. 
if he's in on it, uh, there's no reason to do all of this just because they shot his friend. Okay, that's a good point. If he's already um, part of it, I mean, I would, I guess, if you are part of an organization where you kind of expect your coworkers to get killed, you would not be like, oh no, more like, why did you do that? I like this guy. I guess I wanted it to be deeper than it is. A level more of deceits and lies. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. <laughs> and this time it was not even a war crime. It's true. So, uh, back on the bridge, Namajira is getting a little salty. Uh, this big giant thing, it went right past us, sir, replied Van Onger. Whatever it was, it just went right past us. Scene end. New scene begin. All the, all the oxers are on the floor crying and being in pain. It's not a good day for them, apparently. No, they have to walk around on this, rock, on this rotten planet, smell all the bad smells, and now they get knocked out. All of them. I both really enjoy and am really annoyed by Dan Abnett's... He does this too. He goes, does this in Gaunt's Ghosts all the time. He does this in Eisenhorn and Ravner. He describes something in the most minimalistic terms possible. In this case, the sept. Never explains it and just assumes you'll pick it up from context clues. Like, I kind of get it's like a light psychic connection that the Uxors use to nudge, you know, every run around with. But, like, what are the rules to it? Why does this sting? Okay. More on that later, but uh, <laughs> he had a problem with the milky thing. And here's where my problem was in how this was described. Oh, now I've lost the lusty. The lusty weather. A wind began to pick up strong and lusty and wet cold. How is wind lusty? Like blustery? Right. Did sure. it autocorrect okay. from blustery and just nobody caught it? I just don't understand. Is it sexy wind? I don't I don't get on a rotten planet. Full of like Cthulhu hills and dead rotten fish liquor. And now you have lusty wind coming in. It's very arduous wind. I, okay, so beyond all of that, uh, what we have going on is the end of the cabal keeping the engine going. And you have... <laughs> Sorry. Catley used me as a climbing pole. And she was very graceful about it. Well, she is very graceful. Catley thinks she's graceful, but I'm poor Catley Portman is not so graceful. She just. I'm a ballerina. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And uh, maybe it's a lusty storm, though. Mm-hmm. Oh, we're talking about a storm. Yeah, it's a lusty storm that means that they're all about to to uh, die somehow because the ocean is coming back, and they know it. They know that what has. Uh, been affecting um, this area of the planet has been switched off. I mean, it's not falling apart yet. The city is landing on top of them. It's the scene from Independence Day. (laughs) Probably, yeah. Big giant city ship just... (laughs) Punk. Through the clouds. At least they don't get squished yet. Or they don't get squished, I guess. The landing side really works, so that's good. (laughs) Even after 9,000 years. Mm Mm-hmm. Man, their construction guys had to be real good. 
It's copper, though. All Everything is copper. That's kind of cool. But once again, we have another scene shift very dramatically. And yeah, Nama- after asking, what, what is this? Goodbye. Goodbye. Scene over. Yes. <laughs> Honan Moo had no answer for him. End of scene. Nemajura. <laughs> it's huge, he murmured. <laughs> I guess we now know why the wind was lusty. There we go. The used ship. Oh, don't look that up disappointed, please. <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid we can't determine any details apart from its size. It is resistant to our probes. <laughs> That's what she said. Sorry, that just needed to be there. So, it's landed precisely at the location Alfarius instructed me to secure, said Namajira. Do you think he's trying to pull one over on you at this point? Honestly, at this point, you are supposed to secure the thing. Maybe he's, well, I don't know. I wouldn't suspect it, I guess, but I'm also not uh, an amateur. I'm not as dramatic. But if somebody tells me, go watch this side, something will come down and park there. And I'm like, okay. Came over and parked. It's kind of what you expect. And I think Namajira is trying to make himself feel better. Because he's like, return to the bridge, set weapons to a war footing, charge all main battery weapons and target that object. Is that too complex an order for you? So because he can't snark at Alfarius right now, he snarks at Van Onger, who Mm -hmm. by all accounts is just like an old dude, like probably close to retirement. And he just listened to this new kid being all kinds of mad and annoying. But hey, at least he get to do something, I guess. Van Onger glared at Namajira, made a sullen namaste, and left the outlook. Oh, and there we go. Now he gets really mad. You know, this is the point where I would say he has a full-blown toddler tantrum. Mm-hmm. He's decided he wants to come in at the last minute and, and try to win and clench that most dramatic role. He's coming in strong. Coming in strong. I mean, his, his outfit was holding it, you know. Got him into the game in the beginning, and now now he's throwing a tantrum. Because he understands. Unless he lied to me, said Namajira. Unless he's already making contact with the Cabal and learning their precious secrets for himself. Well, this is when he, you know. Oh, it wasn't a champagne glass. It was a wine flute. <laughs> The image of that in this this man and his very garish because he's still in the outfit with the gloves that button into gloves. his arm. Yeah, but maybe he slipped out of them, slipped into something more comfortable. <laughs> uh, the scene changes are very explicit. The wardrobe changes are not true. So I feel like they would have mentioned if he had a new dramatic outfit on. So I'm still imagining he's in these gloves that button into his armpit with the cape and everything going on. And now he's just thrown a wine flute. I do think it's maybe one of my, at least in my top five favorite lines of this book. He crossed the lookout and poured a flute of wine, sipped it, and then dashed the glass against the window ports with a snarl of fury. He walked over there poured that wine, wanted to make it look like he didn't pour it just to throw it, so he takes a sip and then throws it. I need something something to throw. It has to be dramatic, but it can look like I'm just picking it up to throw. Does anybody think Chain's going to be surprised by this behavior? I feel like having been around this man this long, 
I mean, no. Maybe maybe but, that's maybe that's why he checked out on being like nice to other people. He's like, this is the only person I have contact with. I don't want to deal with this. If um, Jason came out of the bedroom one morning with an eight meter long ostrich cloak, would I be super shocked if that's the day he decided to pour a wine flute and throw it against the window? No, I mean, <laughs> with a snarl of fury. I mean. <laughs> He's well, warned you. He has warned you with his wardrobe. I mean, I don't know what you were expecting. I mean, if you if you come out dressed for drama, you will do drama. It's a very good. That's a better closer to the heart saying than Gino before Jean. Yeah. Dress for drama, do drama. <laughs> Us. Hey, Italy. Nah. <laughs> he just seems so almost like petulant here too. He plays us, he growled. He plays us and uses us. Everything he promised me. The honor, the glory, the emperor's gratitude. Was that all lies, too? Chain shrugged. Uh, my my favorite is, uh, that's it. I'm going to write a report. <laughs> <laughs> he's got this big hissy fit meltdown. And then he's like, you contact them. And if they don't respond, then I'm sending a report to the emperor. <laughs> Chain poured another drink and handed it to his master. <laughs> you see, he's all over it. I guess this happens a few times. So he's just like, okay, he threw that one. Let's give him another one. The man knows his job. Yeah, he's good at his job. Get me a link to the Primarch. Person to person. And Dinas. Yes, sir. Show this bronzy no mercy, said Namajira. Break him, mind, body, and soul, and pluck his secrets from him. Yes, my lord. <laughs> that was a nice, creepy voice. That was terrific. <laughs> and we leave them. <laughs> Next. <laughs> What new drama can we find? Well, Sonica here gets six because uh, teleporting is just not his thing. I don't think it's anybody's thing. I mean, nobody. I don't think the Astarity mind for the most part. They don't, but they literally have an organ to make sure they don't get vertigo. Oh, okay, cool. I didn't even know that. Yeah. Uh, shoot, <laughs> I forget what it's called. No, just the emperor making the superhuman. He's like, we need this, just one thing so they can travel by teleport without throwing up because that's just not cool on a different ship. <laughs> oh, it's actually, I'm never going to say space marines are biologically feasible, but it does seem like they put a tiny bit amount of thought into it as far mm -hmm. as like anatomy and physiology goes, uh, because it's a tiny implant, like I think it's called the Lyman's ear. But um, it's in their brain, so, you know, when we get dizzy, it's from, you know, the balancing features in our ear. But it's uh, super for Space Marines. We don't have the time to have that argument as to whether or not they're biologically feasible, since uh, the calorie requirement for something that large is not feasible uh, the way that they eat. So, you know, that's that's a time and a discussion for another time. Uh, what what I remember estimating the the basic calorie needs mm -hmm. of a, a Space Marine based on you know, average calories per kilogram for a human because we don't have 
And, and it would have been in the neighborhood of 8,000 calories a day just to maintain. And then if they're doing a lot of activity, it would go up from there. So if they have to get 8,000 calories a day and they can, it just, it isn't seemingly feasible to me that they. And that's just a human at their dimension. I mean, there's no telling how many additional caloric requirements and like metabolic returns are going to be required from all the superhuman aspects. So I'm not saying it's not cool that they put that detail in there and made it sort of roughly translate to human anatomy and, and where we would need additional help to make that happen. But from a calorie standpoint, this is just... We're arguing toilets on the Millennium Falcon at this point. <laughs> exactly. So... <laughs> okay. I wonder if all the other... Humans all got sick, but they got to the ship. They are on there. It is raining. Odd. I do think it's interesting that they specifically say uh, when they teleport, it's the arrays of the battle barge. The arrays? Yeah, uh, that's like the second um, paragraph down. The teleport arrays of the battle barge had relocated them all, Imperians, Imperials and Cabal aliens alike, from the dark cave to a wet rock platform at the halting site, Perhaps, just below the gilded lip of the Cabal's parked vessel. And that's a little odd, because the way teleportariums work, in, it's point to point. So, But I don't think that they cannot use the Alpha, the Alpha Legion stuff so it has to be some kind, some weird alien tech, which also teleports them, but may it be different than what normally is used by the Imperium. That would make more sense. Yeah. But, um, giant copper and gold vessel. Yeah, it's so big. Um, Rukshana, Sonica nearly go nuts by it. Just because the scale is insane. And I can understand this. I've seen a few houses where I'm just like, this can't be real. I'm too close here. This cannot be real. I Now that Jason has transported me into the nitpicking of things that just uh -oh. could obviously not be real, gold and, copper, gold and copper would be too soft a material to actually True. be used in space. Yeah. It has to be some kind of weird psychic alien technology. Maybe they. That makes it. That makes it extra it fast. Something else. I don't know, but it could just be paint. It did make me think too. There are a lot of almost Lovecraftian elements. Like once they've hit the planet, there's mm -hmm. like dead sea life, all the weird cubic hills, um, and then let's see, the like vessel that is too alien, too large, too unparalleled to accommodate in his mind without collapsing into madness. Like, that's something too big, too unknowable, like, that could just squish you and not even notice, is, like, the hallmark of Lovecraftian horror. True. And I didn't actually pick up on that's what I think Dan Abnett was going for on this planet until this scene. So Sonica and Rukshana are hoping not to get into the vessel. They're like, our part's done. Can we peace out? Unfortunately, they are expected to go on to the ship. Yep. But they have a little talk. Oh, no. Dramaticus hates us. <laughs> oh, well. Of course he does. We betrayed him. And she's talking a little bit about how hard it was. I really thought I loved him. He loved me. Oh, God. I don't, I, I don't get her. No, you have to understand. 
I loved him. Do you think she was using her own sort of psychic manipulations on him to make them both think that they were in love? Who knows at this point? I don't know. Seems super dramatic. We're all, all there, I guess. And <laughs> they are about to board the vessel, and there's a phone call from the Majora. <laughs> but yeah, he hangs up on him, ghosts him for a little bit. I appreciate, tell him I appreciate his patience, I will contact him directly, <laughs> and walks into the ship. He won't like it, said Herzog. That's his problem, Omegon <laughs> replied. I probably shouldn't tell him that, though, should I? asked Herzog. <laughs> At least they have humor. They do. It's always like Omegon with like the snappy comebacks. Like, so Afarius is the serious side. Omegon is the funny guy. <laughs> He's the funny uncle out of the two. Right. It's not a trap. Not anymore. It isn't. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, this time, even though the scene ends, they we stick with them. That we is stick nice. And we go up to the boarding the ship. <laughs> What's that noise? Rukshana asked. I don't hear anything, said Sonika. It's in my sept then, like a swarm of bees. So they just hear things? Well, it happens, but they, did, they hope they don't have anything to do. But no, there are other plans. Poor Sonika, he has to follow um, Alpharius and Omegon to watch whatever they're going to show. Poor, poor Sonika. I don't think he really wanted to be in there. I love that they describe him as an unmodified human. You're an absolutely normal. <laughs> you normie. Come on, normie. <laughs> I will do what you can, what I can. Do you consent, sir? I Do you consent, demanded Omegon. We haven't got time to waste. Is this consent at that point? Well. This is a little bit of an awkward scene, too. Because I feel like it's straight up, like, Everybody sits down to watch a tiny exposition movie. Yeah. Complete with like... Slauda might as well be in the background with a projector. Like, you know, setting up and, you know, you get the film grain and the little boop, boop. You guys remember back in school when the teacher brought in the card with the, uh, oh, with yes. the TV? Oh, it's yes. like this. Yeah. He like wheels it up to the front. All right, class, we're going to watch a movie. And uh, I also, like, really love Sonica. Peter Sonica, welcome. Hello, you're inside my head. I am. That's not entirely pleasant. Oh, get a backbone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, again. Oh, oh my God. Uh, we also figure out, for the first time, Cher's whole name is Din Dang Kiat Cher. <laughs> that's silly. Probably that's why he calls by Cher. Except when you hear it, don't you just think of Cher, the singer? I mean, do you believe it? I didn't know that singer. Oh, yeah, Cher. I'm super bad with names of singer. Just really huge hair. It's Maybe he has the same Long, hair. it's not big. Oh, It's not like Dolly Parton big, and I do love my Dolly, but she's got big hair. The alien who's showing them the TV or the movie, you're a violent species. Yes, they are. You threaten quickly. The violence will come later and will be entirely your business. Get on with it, said Omegon. <laughs> yeah, he's a very snappy guy. <laughs> the human race is virile. It thrives, unruly, and audacious. It is, in its ignorance, especially susceptible to the influence of chaos. You know, I wonder if it would have been fast, faster and easier to be heard. I'm like, okay, let's just watch the movie. I'm going to complain about you guys later. <laughs> 
Especially because they keep saying that there is no time and it needs to be shown quickly. But no, they need to first be like, your whole species is trash. You are horrible. You are <laughs> killing each other. You're the worst thing which could have happened to this whole universe. Okay, here and now, let's watch the movie. Yeah. <laughs> I do feel like that's a really consistent theme because that's what Dramaticus was doing at the very start of the book. He was yelling at everybody, we don't have time. We don't have time for any of this. And then stop exposition. If they didn't have any time, why did they choose a planet to meet on that would take them four months to travel to? Because the planet was called Hydra? They had to work that joke in there. Yeah. It's they, worth the fate of the universe, right? Okay, all right. For that yeah. Again, if, they, if time was that important, why didn't they choose a meeting spot that would have been closer? So when I read this book the very first time, through all of this, I never understood what Afarius said at the end. Uh, or the Alpha Legion has all, always, always been for the Emperor. Which now also makes sense. For the Emperor is their motto. And what does the Emperor want to do? He wants to destroy your chaos. What does Ophagus think is going to destroy chaos? The end of the human race. And Horus has to win. So he, for the Emperor, tries to kill the Emperor. And the first time I just didn't get it. I had a hard time understanding it, especially later on in the book. Big mm -hmm. spoiler when he kills Namat Jira and he says, For the Emperor. I'm like, This dude might be dramatic, but you did make him come here for you. Why are you? Well, he. No. The slab of silver light, the television at the front of the room, flickers. <laughs> Regard then the future. Horus wins and chaos triumphs, a terrible prospect, but likely. The Cabal sees a scintilla of honor remaining in bright Lupercal. He will surely hate himself if the atrocity is committed in his name. So their plan here is to give Horus big ups. He wins. Chaos burns itself out. Yep. And inside of Horus Lupercal, there's a tiny slab of being good and being mad at himself for what he has done. So his self-loathing will also end the universe. Or the chaos. Chaos completely. There is no food. <laughs> Poor Catelyn. Truly, this is the drama of the evening. The other chance would be, um, yeah, chaos will burn brighter than ever before, and then it was extinguished. And consider the alternative, Omegon. This is what we have foreseen. The Emperor will give his life in to achieve a victory. He will fall at her, striking Horostone. This will be the destiny, see? And then it showed a corpse emperor on the throne. The howling rictus of the wizened cadaver. It's a particularly evocative sentence. <laughs> they do turn out to be right, though. They do. That's why I, I am all for chaos, because why not? Also, the alternative, they lost. Even though Horus died, humanity has lost the slow, inexperienced conquest of chaos on a brief period of terror and frenzy. Like, either either humanity just dies off and chaos dies with them, which I still wouldn't believe, or we are in the current situation where, yes, chaos hasn't won, but they're just going to keep cooking and boiling because everybody's stagnant. I mean, essentially, chaos would ensure their own food source for the next 20,000 years. Yeah, they did, and they managed they managed to do good. It is perfectly simple, Omegon. The Alpha Legion must side with the rebels. You must ensure that Horus wins. Never. It is unthinkable. 
Then see the results. See it. See it for yourselves. Look at it. Look at. It. Look at. It. How do you propose we do that, you alien bastard? <laughs> oh, Amagon. Amagon. Yeah, Dan. The authority shot him everything. Omegon and Ferris staggered backwards, screaming. Sheer bubble burbled furiously, then fell over, stone dead in his his mind destroyed. <laughs> and Sonica, he wept. Poor Sonica. He did not need to see those kind of nightmares. I'd say poor Cher. He died furiously burbling. That's I was you. just going to say, poor but Cher. I mean, at least Sonica, Sonica survived. He has to live with this knowledge now, though. I mean... Sher dies like a pot boiling over. True. Is what I envisioned with that sentence. Oh. Blurble. <laughs> death. Maybe they shouldn't have picked a pyro got <laughs> the pyro psychic guy for it. But yes, poor Sher. Right. It seems like a bad idea. Well. <laughs> and with this, we leave them, and we well, we also stick with them. That is nice. It is. I think, the most smooth transition mm-hmm. of scenes in the book. Yeah. They came back out into luminous halls that would never seem so bright again. The future came with them like a shroud. Alfarius and Omegon were silent and expressionless. Ashen, broken, Sonica carried Cher's corpse in his arms. There are two Primarchs, two superhumans, and they let the one normal guy <laughs> carry push here. I mean... Ugh. Right. It would have barely had been like carrying a sack of groceries for one of them, but they make Sonica lug the dead human body back out with him. And then I just stare at each other a little bit. I always wonder, the Alpha Legion, like, they are the part of the same person. Do they just look at each other and have insights? just a conversation between each other which can't even be detected psychically because they're the same person in two bodies maybe i assume that's what's happening right now probably hopefully i mean at the very base like all primarchs are supposedly latently psychic right and oh so no they're just staring at each other um and rukshana tries to figure out what's going on everybody tries to figure it out but they don't have time and Andromaticus. He saw the audacity. It is, it's a terrible thing, Pedro. Quite terrible and wonderful, too. Wonderful, Sonica burst out. How can you call it that? And I feel like this is supposed to be a super deep point, uh, because Dramaticus says, because in all the horror it offers a chance, pure and simple, to save, spare, and protect. I don't think much of that chance, John, he replied. Which is fair, because they expect the whole human, all of humanity, sacrifice themselves for space. Right. Which I don't. I mean, that's a pretty shitty choice, honestly. <laughs> then Slauda just rumbles in. <laughs> well, he asked in halting, thickly accented vermin species. Hey, yeah, he doesn't use the buck this time. He actually lowers himself to the monkey right. level. What is your response? All right, Caro, for you, like this. Word must seem super weird. Do you pronounce it Monkai or Monkey? I personally go for Monkey, I guess. I don't know Monkai. I think that's how it's supposed to be pronounced. I've heard Black Library like voice artists pronounce it both ways. Obviously, it's supposed to be Monkey, like, yeah. as an ape. But 
it, I mean, it's been around as an Eldar word for. I mean, if I had to pronounce, if I would read it in a German novel, I would prosecute for Mankai because there's an EE and it's an I, so Mankai. But in English, it's just Monkey. Yeah. Because it's, it's they, 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 we are descendants of apes for them. We're still apes, just really, really violent apes. I just remember the very first Black Library audiobook I ever listened to, mm -hmm. the voice artist pronounced it Mong Kai, and I've never been able to not mentally hear that. Oh, okay. Because I heard it when I was like, I don't know, 15, and it just stuck. Also, um, Slow Da is really quite a number. He comes there and just... Looks them. What? What are you gonna do? Are you going? Are you gonna be strong enough, or you're just gonna be a little piece of shit and pick <laughs> yourself? <laughs> like if you want somebody to pick to sacrifice the whole species for the universe, maybe it'd be nice, right? I feel like he's almost trying to antagonize them. Yeah. It's like uh, you're gonna sack up, or you're gonna be a stupid, selfish piece of shit. <laughs> Right, dumb piece of shit. <laughs> you ape, self-serving vermin. <laughs> okay. And Alpharius just is like, I am for the emperor, and he wants to overthrow the primarily annihilator. Uh, so what I do, Autar, from this moment on, I will do for the emperor. It's fascinating. Just that line makes me think of Slau Da. Like, oh my god, that stupid gif everybody loves of It's Always Sunny, where Dennis, like, runs somebody over, and he's like, huh, you dumb bitch. <laughs> the only It's Sunny meme that I mentally always think of is, and so I just started shooting. <laughs> <laughs> so I just started insulting them. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Stupid, dumb vermin species. <laughs> Yeah, and then he just nods and walks away. He's also really good at it. And meanwhile, the Majora still tries to call them. He has left like 17 voicemails <laughs> by this point. Imagine I admit, how I'm going to write a report and it's not going to be pretty, okay? Yeah. <laughs> I want you to call me back like right now. Your supervisor is going to have words for you when you check in at your next yearly assessment. <laughs> You're not going to get the bonus, do you, I, I mean, Do you really think that if you send a report to the emperor about a Primarch that he's going to be like, well, I better get right on that? Oh, no. I mean, the emperor doesn't care. Like, exactly. That's why. He's the worst. This is the equivalent of a camp counselor sending a strongly worded letter to a child's parent. Like, nothing's going to happen. The emperor... Just like kids in summer camp, the emperor sends the Primarchs out so he doesn't have to deal with them for the summer. <laughs> he doesn't, he knows they're little assholes. Like, he's under no illusion. Yeah, the, the emperor in this he is a child free guy who ended up with a kid and he hates kids. He's real bad at it. Oh, yes. Almost to the point you, he definitely is trying. Does he? For some. Some he's trying, but sometimes I feel like he's actively trying to harm them. We're talking about Perturabo. Yeah, and Angron. Uh, okay. <laughs> I'm just, okay. But, but back to the novel. Here's another place where I'm like, I don't know what Namat Jareth is thinking here. 
because he's starting to make veiled threats towards Alpharius. And that just, in what universe does that end well? I think it just, there's a, he's, there's a big component of thinking he, self, he himself is more important than anything else on the planet. And narcissism, I think it is. He has that. And <laughs> the problem, he is a narcissist with a whole army, so he dooms everybody. Yes. Because also Alpharius and Omegon decide we need to be secret about this. Secrecy is always our most potent weapon. How do you keep it secret uh, if you ha- bring a whole army with you with a lot of people? And surprise. Oh, no. They're shooting at us. No. <laughs> they're shooting at us. They're killing us. Oh, no. So they just started shooting. Oh, God. <laughs> Unsend. Unsend. <laughs> no, he read it already. I can't get it back. <laughs> Stop. Go back. And they are teleporting onto Nemager's ship. But at least, at least, Nemager is important enough to get killed personally by them. I know, but look, Namatjira says, I am, I am going, I am withdrawing to my chambers and composing a statement of censure. Okay. He's going to take a dramatic pause. (laughs) But keep sending my messages. At that time, I will issue one fun lotus of intent, and if it's not answered, we will be begin told by Margaret of the surface zone. Again? Right? That's not gonna end well for ya. They are Astartes, my lord. What are you proposing amounts to war against our own? And then they turn around and shoot them. <laughs> Namajira's like, do you know who I am? Me and all my friends are absolutely going to review bomb you on Yelp. It's a very scary threat. At least Namat Jira thinks it's a scary threat. He really does. And then I get bored. <laughs> Those duplicitous bastards, murmured Namat Jira. That's an attack vector, Van Onger cried. And then it just kind of count down all the ships which they slowly lose. Cantium, Solar, Wind, Beda, Transit, London. They all just get obliterated by Astartes. It's just one ship, barked Namat Jira. I do love this line, Vanong. <laughs> it's an Astartes battle barge, you cretin. <laughs> it's flying through the center of the fleet. Yeah, he would be dead by now, honestly, but doesn't really matter. Mm. I just, this whole thing, they're just trying to survive somehow. Meanwhile, the Astartes are just boarding them and killing everybody. Oh my god. This, I almost feel bad for Namajira here. Hmm? Eight direct hits recorded on the target vessel, the Master of Ordnance sang out. Yes, crowed Namajira, clenching a fist. Wait, it tr- he's trying to shoot them now? Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, great. Well. He, he's trying to return fire because they're firing on him. <laughs> Only... Yeah, and then, true, and then just the better's not slowing down. Yeah, it doesn't do any damage. <laughs> but he hit it. And he's like, yes, we hit it, but it yes. didn't do anything. He does a fist pump. Mm-hmm. Yes. In his, remember, he's got those arm gloves. He's got the arm gloves going on while he's doing that fist pump. Full arm glove fist pump. (laughs) And in return, he gets boarded with internal hatches flying open. Internal hatches blew open in a welter of flame and flying metal. I feel very sorry for the Major General and his men because they perish in seconds. Right. Yes. Major General just, Dev, like... He tried. He really tried, and I feel like out of everybody, like, he kind of ends up bearing most of Namajira's bullshit. Between him and Chain, 
but, but he, Shane likes the Machura, I think. Maybe uh, I don't I know. I don't think he likes him. I think he's just there to do his job, yeah. and so he's putting up with this drama Fair. queen. I think he's there because I mean he's essentially Secret Service who's been assigned to protect him. And he's a hyper professional investigative police butler. <laughs> Who doesn't need a police butler in their life? But yeah, Dev here is like, he, there's no clue that we get that he even knows what's going on other than they're being boarded. Yeah, it's not like they tell anybody what's going on. And most of the time when you're in a ship, you don't know what's, you can't see anything. So yeah. Something boards. He's trying to protect himself, and he just obliterates. He gets killed. Yeah, he's trying to pull people together. He's trying to like get everybody. He like all he knows is they're being boarded by space marines, and he needs heavy weapons. He tosses his sword, which he has for some reason, and grabs a grenade launcher from the dude next to him, and just starts like firing grenades down a hall. <laughs> I catch a grenade for you. <laughs> I assume in a direction he thinks space marines are in. And it works Ooh. not at all. Oh. Sorry. <laughs> Ashton just used those claws. Oh, we need to, we need to trim his claws again. He, he, he's a baby. He doesn't understand how they work. It's fine. I hear. I sit. Yes. If Ashton could speak, it would be in screaming just all of the time. So I'm very sorry. We will trim his claws. What this? What up there? <laughs> I need that. Oh. What? What happened? So poor, poor Dev gets obliterated, and we go back down onto the floor of the planet at Honanmu, and they see. They are on the planet, surrounded by rotting corpses. Look up and see how the two fleets are going at each other. And it's like, <laughs> oh, crap. Uh, I guess I'm not going home anymore. <laughs> I missed the bus. And now the bus is exploding above me, and I'm on a nasty planet. And the planet's super safe system just shut down. So, okay, we're going to die. <laughs> I forgot up until this point, too, that Honan Moo has, like, a baby Uxor with her named Tiffany. <laughs> oh no. It's spelled cleverly. Tiffany? It it's totally Tiffany. It is. Right? Mm, that, it's that, Tiffany. That's, that's Tiffany. And I at least she's not mad or anything. She's just sitting down like Oh god. <laughs> <laughs> I mean what else are you gonna do? She's yes. like, oh, but no. Then then other demon decomposing remains would be left drowned and scattered across the lonely ro- cubit rocks. And we leave them. Goodbye. That's it. <laughs> That's, I think, the last we ever hear of them. Yeah. I mean, there's not much more to say. Uh, that you, sucks. I mean, yeah, sucks to be you. Now we go back and Shane is trying to get... Do, do his job. Do his yes, job. The, secu- the police butler tries to save his friend. Boss. His boss. 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 His charge. <laughs> and... And she just doesn't want to listen. It's, no, Dinas. It's probably like a kid in a store where she's like, I need to do my job. I need to get you out of here. I'm done. And the three-year-old year toddler just keeps screaming. Just this time, it's not just a store. It's a falling apart ship where you're in the process of getting nearly killed. I love this stupid line here, too. 
targeted again, bellowed Namajira. Again, we can't break its shields, Van Onger yelled back. We just lost the Barbustian, someone yelled. The loudness reported is on fire and drifting, called another voice. Namajira walked up to Van Onger and slapped him hard across the face. Destroy <laughs> that barge, you piece of shit. <laughs> and he wants to go back and also give Namajira his well-deserved punch, but no, Secret Service butler is there. You will not raise your hand to the Lord Commander. Complete your orders. <laughs> Even though it's not going to do any good. Um. Right. And then, contact. A second contact. Dramatic zoom. Everybody turns to face the rear window. Where there's another battle barge. It's the Alpha, not the Beta. Oh, no. It's the Alpha. Whispered Namajira. It has opened fire. <laughs> This time, Namajira allowed Chain to lead him away. Yeah, it's a little too late. <laughs> and we go back to Bronzy. And, oh God, Bronzy, bless his soul. He's like, they're coming. They're coming for me. See, like everything which is going on, the whole ship falling apart, is just because they need to get Bronzy out. Mm -hmm. Like they would not just throw him to the gutters when they needed to. You know what? I was kind of surprised that they actually did come and save him. Right? If I'm being honest. That's fair. Sonic, it's even Sonica who comes and gets him. Yep. Pedo Sonica and Thanner. Mm -hmm. Still got a Falks. It would have been easy to leave him, so I got to give some props for actually. True. Actually, I just thought about that, though. He's in a tiny little interrogation cell. Probably they also have some kind of beacon implanted. Yeah. But Thanner is using a falks. It's like a six-foot sword stick. That's got to be really awkward to use in such a tiny little You're room. not supposed to think about this. These are, you know, eight-foot-tall supermen with implanted organs and three lungs and two hearts. You know, the interrogation room is also big enough so Nostardi can't fit in there nicely and still fight. It's, there's always space. Like, 100%, I'm picturing, like, the interrogation room from, like, any episode of Law & Order SVU. Mm -hmm. Like, Olivia Benson might as well be there. Wait, they usually don't uh, strip the people down and strap them naked on a torture chair. When, or is special acting unity a very different time? <laughs> what I'm used to. It is SVU. <laughs> no, it is what you are thinking of. Okay, okay. <laughs> but anyhow, the point is, he gets enough of a swing with a six-foot sword on a stick that he decapitates one of the guys. That's how he sounded when he got de decapitated. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, Bronzy is excited that they have come for him. We look after our own, said Thanner. Then they pull him out of the cage. You know, I don't... There's Bronzy, he got tortured. He gets tortured real good or real bad, depending on your viewpoint. And he looks at Sonic and is like, You look real bad. <laughs> It's just it's a testament either at how much Bronzy is focused on Sonica or how bad he really looks in the end. Right. <laughs> it's like, I know this has been going on for 12 hours, but you look like shit. <laughs> <laughs> but not a guy who got tortured is the one who looks bad. Yeah, right. So, <sighs> all right. Next scene. I'm so happy about a scene. I, I like this scene. Not going to make fun of it all that much. It, it's a good scene. Prepare for immediate departure, Chain cried into his vox. The Lord Commander will be aboard in 20 seconds. I don't believe he will, said Alfarius. 
can just see him like, you know, coming out of the shadows. Yeah, Primark had emerged from the dense smoke pouring it down from the carrier space. And he just has a gladius. Like, you're not important enough for my good weapons. Right? Like, <laughs> I didn't even think about that. <laughs> right? I mean, a gladius to a Primark is like a butter knife. Essentially. <laughs> I'm killing you with a spoon. Right? He might. <laughs> Right? He might as well use those little utensils from, like, the MRE kits. It's the same thing to him. So wait, it's a spork? That's even worse than a spoon. <laughs> so the Lucifer Blacks, they're like a half dozen of them. They do their best. They shoot him with las pistols. It doesn't do anything. What, what I'm kind of curious, though, the first swing Alpharius makes, uh, one swing of his sword broke the back of the first Lucifer. A man is charging at you. You swing a sword at his front. How does that work? Sound waves. <laughs> <laughs> Things are louder in space because there's no air to get in the way of the noise. Right. I just assumed that it cleaved straight through him and ended up breaking his back. Yeah, maybe that's you. I mean, okay, that sort of makes sense. But I mean, wouldn't you describe that way more dramatically? Like, Alpharius's sword cleaved the man in two. I mean, he has more than enough drama for later. He can just... Okay. He's just a little minion for no... He's not even a character. It's just one of the Lucifer Blacks. So the dead has to just be quick. These are essentially elite faceless goons for Alpharius to boot his way through. To make sure everybody knows how amazing good he is. I also think that Dan Abnett is getting tired of, of writing this novel. It really does feel like that. The far, ever since wheeling the television to the front of the classroom, so everybody <laughs> gets the expedition story. Okay, I cannot go over, over 400 pages. Let's just finish this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's kind of how it feels. It just sort of peters out at the end. Yeah. Wrap, it, wrap it up, guys. Wrap it up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like he met his word quota and he's like, all right, I'm just going to end it now. Going to snip it up. Yeah. And I mean, he Alfarius definitely snips things up. He's just killing all of the super elite guys. Apart from? Apart from Chain, who does swing his saber, blocked by the Primarch sword, but barely. Mm-hmm. He alters his attack dynamic. Alfarius had to take a step backwards to defend against Chain's extraordinary swordsmanship. The Primarch parried and thrust, but Chain dodged the strike and ran his saber into Alfarius's side. That's an unaug- well, barely augmented human. Mm-hmm. He's not even a space marine, and he manages to stab Alfarius, like, straight up through the torso. It's this whole, this little moment here. Hmm. He gets stabbed in the side, and he's just like, hmm. Looks at Chain, and he Chain knows he's done for- they can pull out, he cannot pull out a sword anymore. Then he stares at Chain, makes eye contact, and is like, that's all you get, and then just splits him in half. But I like that he doesn't even tell us how. It's just laterally, diagonally. Yeah, it's just... Horizontally. Yeah, then Alpharius shears his gladius, drags the saber out of his torso, throws it away... Plunk. And walks... To Nemajira, who was kneeling on the deck. Please, my Lord Primark, please, I beg you. Like, now finally he realizes in what situation he's in. Ruh row. Uh oh. Uh oh. Uh oh. <laughs> For the Emperor. Right. I feel like. And he shoots him like a dog. 
I feel like we need a sad slide whistle sound. As the Cabal's copper spaceship dish flies through space. (laughs) And this is just another one of those just kind of sad, dramatic fade to black endings. It's not even fade, it's just a cut into blackness, and then we're in the epilogue. Yes. Yeah. He shoots Nemajur like a dog. We don't know what else is going on. Right. I mean, I don't know what kind of report he's going to write of. Oh, yeah, we somehow lost every single ship of the guys we were supposed to be with. Uh, but we're good. So I, there are battle. You can, I'm sure you can tell in space that who shot at you. And nobody wonders why. Does the Alpha Legion battle barges? How, why do they look like they shot their friends up? Why? Why? How? What about all the humans on the Alpha Legion ships? Are they all indoctrinated? We will never know. It just fades out. And then the epilogue. Oh. Oh. Dramaticus. (laughs) In his crowning dramatic achievement, John flings himself out of an airlock. (laughs) Well, they don't actually say that that's what he does. He's just walking in the direction of the airlock. John, Slauda called out, you're heading in the direction of the external hatches. John? What are you doing, does John? I wonder if he, if eventually he's tired of walking behind John and just keeps um, projecting himself onto the blinky surfaces <laughs> again. John, what are you doing? John, John, don't press the button. John. Oh, come on, John. John. I mean, at this point, though, he served their purpose and if he wants to go and be dramatic and let himself out of an airlock it's like okay you go to you buddy yeah i don't have time for you anymore the last thing we get out of this novel is it wouldn't be his first death but he hoped it would be his last it was not (laughs) no it wasn't oh john maybe he learned something no no it's john sad. sad for him if he didn't learn from all of this probably died a few times but i i don't i think he's learn resistant at this point (laughs) he learned that the real cabal are the friends he made along the way (laughs) well i think that's the nicest friends (laughs) learn resistant i'm gonna have to find a way to work that into a conversation this week that's gonna be my homework i'm gonna work it in (laughs) that's what i'm gonna do they are success resistant (laughs) that's what i talked about (laughs) successfully Resistant to learning. You have successfully failed. (laughs) Congratulations. All right. So, guys, we're at the end here. What are your final thoughts on Legion by Dan Abnett? Yeah. Well, well, Dan Abnett. God. Legion is a great book. It is super to make fun of, but you learn a lot in it. I really appreciate it. And I also decided even more that Legion... Or the Alpha Legion. It's just a very fascinating legion to be into. I mean, as much as I make fun of this book, and Dan Abdent does have some black and white novels. Like, he did write Eisenhorn and the God's Ghost series, which literally set the precedent for so much of the Warhammer universe. But then, like... You go from this soaring gothic crime noir uh, Inquisitor Eisenhorn story, and then he 
also wrote the Ravener trilogy, which boils down to Kara Swole got big titties. And it's a really weird dichotomy. I don't think Legion is bad, but it seems the book itself kind of has that dichotomy. Like, there are definitely historic parts to it. Like, we never knew before Legion that the Alpha Legion has a twin Primarch. Mm -hmm. But also, it has that god-awful awkward, like, romance angle angle between Dramaticus and Rukshana that just feels so... Displaced. Exactly. It feels really out of place. Nope. I don't have such a dramatic view on it. Uh, (laughs) It's just kind of, it's a fun novel for me. How is it as your first book in the Warhammer universe? Uh, It was fun. Um, It it did seem like the Alpha Legion made things a little bit unnecessarily complicated to the point of almost being wasteful. Mm -hmm. Uh, And especially since I understand enough about the universe to know that resources are really sparse once you get further into the Horus heresy. And it just feels like a big waste of resources that they just kind of fling everything into all of these side missions. And so it, it certainly, I don't think it was a bad novel and I enjoyed it, but I, and I have no idea. I'll be completely honest. Uh, I think, think in the heresy Alfarius dies and Omegon does not, but I don't know that we fully know what happens to them. Is that correct? Okay. Yeah. So it's not super surprising that not very good things happen to them since they're wasting resources like that. So you're saying they deserve it. No, no, I'm not saying that they deserve it, but maybe if they could be a little more focused in their efforts uh, and had were a little bit, uh, Less of a mess. <laughs> a little more focused. I just feel like you don't just throw 15 plans at the wall. And maybe if you could scale it back a little bit, focus in a little more, it wouldn't take as long and you wouldn't use as many resources in the process. Yeah. And I got to say, I, I enjoy spy novels to a specific part, but oh my God, space spies is just so much. <laughs> and there's so many layers to this book to just go back to. So I hope... Yeah, I think it's a good book. I like it. I picked it for a reason. I'm mm-hmm. glad you guys joined. Yeah. I, I'm certainly not mad at it, but it, it's just like, oh my goodness. Are, are, is the Alpha Legion always like this? I mean... Yes. Pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. The next book, which will be read, is going to be Mechanical. And this time, Steven is going to join. And then we'll see what's going to happen. Exciting. Mm-hmm. I look forward to it. Does it include any characters I know about? Maybe. Maybe. (laughs) The mystery deepens. (laughs) This episode of Heresy Book Club, a part of the Remembrancers Retreat, is made possible with the support of our patrons. Starting with our Legion Praetors, Alex Sell, Chaplain Asar, Chris Mack, Gardner Nut Tree of Woe, Joe from Music City Heresy, Luke Rizzuto, Matthew Boyce, Mr. Baldwick, Nicholas Quenga, Sar Luther, Taco Tuesday or Bus 22 Rock and Roll McDonald's, and What's Ligma? Our Legion Centurions, Aaron Maynard, Andrew N., Angry Boy, Dave Jones, Duncan, Ed, J. 
John Christensen, M. Tanzer, Gorecrow, Queen Corswain, Scott LeMay, and the original Applesauce. And finally, our Legion Sergeants Agrippina, Emily O'Hare, Garrett Lowe, Mr. Sear, Nick Gillen, The Zoy, and What Do I Call Myself? Thank you all so much for your support. And if you would like to become a patron, go over to patreon.com forward slash rr30k.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter at rr30k podcast. Follow our Instagram at rr30k. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can join our Discord server. Link will be in the show notes. And also be sure to check out our website, rr30k.com, where you can find cool content such as the Battlefleet Heresy Compendium, a homebrew compilation for playing Battlefleet and Gothic set in the Horus Heresy. Until next time, keep those dice rolling. Bye for now.